Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. If you could turn with me to Psalm chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whosoever, whatsoever he doeth, shall prosper. In Jesus' name, Lord God, once again, we're so very thankful, Lord, for the presence that we feel in this house today. What a privilege, what an honor, God, that we have the freedom and the liberty to walk into this house and to lift up your name and feel your very presence, to hear from your word, from your song, and from your wonderful glory, God. Lord, today I pray that you bless this congregation Bless this vessel for the moving of your word, Lord Jesus, and your will be done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. And you can be seated this morning. A few weeks ago, I came up here and I declared to you that it's about the Spirit. And we talked about the Holy Ghost. It's about the Holy Ghost. The difference between religion and relationship is the true evidential infilling of the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen on that? That is the difference between religion and relationship. We do not have religion. If you came here today and you were looking for some ceremonial activity, 20 minutes at the, at the seat, and then a chance to go home to lunch, you came into the wrong house. This is not a religion church. This is a relationship church. But even greater, this is a Bible church. And I'm going to talk to you today about the Word of God because it's about the Holy Ghost, but today it's about the Word. And I'm going to share some things with you, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Word of God. And hopefully, the way God gave it to me, hopefully in a way that maybe you hadn't thought of before, something that's encouraging, enlightening to you, something that opens your eyes just a little bit further, a little bit more about the Word of God. My goal is that when you walk out of here today, you'll be more encouraged, more dedicated, and more driven to get into your word, to know it, devour it, study it, learn it, and most of all, to use it, the word of God. As we look around the world today, the world around us, and I I, I don't want me to sound like a broken record when when I teach and when I preach, but it's just every week there's something new. When we were out on our vacation, we were traveling and, and we, we did an East Coast swing, some of you know that. We actually started the first leg of our trip in Cleveland two days before the RNC. That was interesting, seeing them set everything up and, and what, what all that is. So in the course of our trip, we get bits and pieces of information of all the controversy and the blah, blah, blah and all the political stuff that's going on. And somewhere during the course of this I tweeted out, I don't tweet very much, um, I'm not much of a Twitter guy, but I tweeted out a thought that popped in my head. And I just simply said, if religion, if, your pol- if politics is your religion, you're serving the wrong God. Because I look around and I see people so unbelievably engrossed 
and captured by political events. And I understand it's important, and I understand we've got to be, do our civil duty, and we've got to, God's given us this country to be faithful to the, the civil as much as, as we are and to the spiritual, and so we need to participate. But if it's your God, then you're serving the wrong God. And uh, so I got to see some of that, and we heard bits and pieces coming out, all the controversy, etc. Well, on the back end of our, our trip, we went through the city of Philadelphia, two days before the DNC. And they were setting up, and then on our way back, we went into D- Washington, D.C., and then we made our way home. And the one prevailing thought I had is, man, I can't wait to get back to the JNC. <laughs> because what, what a mess. <laughs> so here we are. We're in the JNC, the, the Church of Jesus. Um, but there's, there's so much controversy out there. And of course, it's, it's, it's got people enraptured. But the thought that I had in relation to this, and I'm, I'm making a point, and, and then I'm going to talk about the word, is that we know that Christianity itself is under attack. We know that the word of God is under attack. Our very existence now offends people. John, uh, Jesus told us in John chapter 15, I think it's verse 18, to be ready that we will be hated because he was hated. It's happening in our world right now. Now the difference, I told you a moment ago that the difference between religion and relationship was the Holy Ghost. The difference between fear and faith is our dedication to this right here, to the word of God. And one of the things that I'm going to encourage you is that if you truly, truly dive into this, you truly make this a part of who you are, all of that garbage that's happening out there, all this political, who's going to be the president, who's going to this and that, is not going to matter. But it is going to be critical that we take this thing and we make it part of who we are if we're going to make it. Okay, I'm making a bold statement here, but I contend to you that if you do not have the word of God in your heart, if you are not studying this word, if you do not truly know what is contained in the covers of this book, you are not going to make it. The Bible tells us that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I believe that now more than ever in our existence, we need to take hold of the word of God like never before, and make it a part of who we are, and be prepared. It is our sword, it is our weapon, and it is what will take us through what we're facing and we're going to face. We know that the Bible is under attack. Now, in the past, we've heard this for many years. Those of you that teach Bible studies, maybe you've heard it, those of you that witness, it was called stories, fables, fiction. It was laughed at. You believe the word of God? You believe this is really true? These are true stories? Really, there was a big fish that swallowed a guy? There was creation, all that stuff, and it was a ha-ha-ha-ha. Okay, that was in the past. But what we're starting to hear now in our society, and this shouldn't scare you, it should embolden you. It shouldn't bother you, it should steal your resolve. That now we're beginning to hear that this precious, wonderful, living word of God is hate speech. We're starting to hear that it's bigotry, It's homophobic. It's racist. That's coming from our society, the United States of America. Part of our trip took us through 
Uh, Washington, D.C. was the last leg of our trip, and we got to spend about a day and a half in Washington, D.C. And one of the places I absolutely had to go, I was there when I was about 10 years old, and I wanted my kids to see it. Uh, My wife hadn't been there yet. We went to the National Archives. And in the National Archives is housed the Constitution of the United States, the original Constitution, to almost, what, 250 years old, the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. And it was awe-striking, standing before these amazing documents. You could still make out on the Declaration of Independence, it's almost faded out, by the way. It's very tragic. In, in, in a few years, I don't know how long, pretty soon it's just going to be a white piece of sheepskin or whatever they wrote on. But you can make out John Hancock, Benjamin Franklin. And the Constitution is much, in much better shape. And it was awe-striking to stand in front of those documents and recognize what it represented, what it meant, and who signed those documents. It was incredible. And then I thought about it in relation to this message. And do you know that we have the Constitution of the world, the Declaration of Freedom, and the Bill of Universal Rights right here in our hands every single day? We, had, we couldn't even, we couldn't take pictures. We walked in there and they, uh, probably, I don't know, my kids could tell you, what, 200 times we heard no pictures, no pictures, no pictures, no pictures. I had my camera with me and I wanted to take pictures. But they dimmed the lights down. Sam read a, 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 something in there that said it was, what, two candlelight power or something like that. They had it dimmed down so much because light, light damages this. And, um, and it's, it's under glass this thick and everything. But you can see it and it was pretty neat. But, and of course, there's copies. You can go down to the gift shop and for $15, you can take home a copy of the Constitution and you know, frame it or do whatever you want. But uh, it, it, was, it was still so awe-inspiring. And then I thought, we've got everything we need. The foundation of those documents is right here in our hands. And it was, it was impressive to me. But the word is under attack in our society. It's, it's subtle. The move is on. And I don't know how long, and I'm not being a prognosticator, and I'm not trying to be a fearmonger. but at some point I have to imagine, and whether the church is still here or not, I don't know, but there will be a push to outlaw the Bible. There's a push now to shame it out of existence. And at some point, and some may have already had this experience where you are being challenged to defend things that they know exist in the Bible, but are now contrary to what societal norms have to say. Now, I'm not going to continue to repeat the particular societal issue, and I'm not going to put that on the recording, but you know there is a predominant societal cultural issue that has recently gained incredible ground so far as legalization by the United States Supreme Court. Now, we know what the Bible stands on that. We know the immorality of that. We know what we stand for, but people are being pressed now Subtly, in media, social media, people are being pressed now to you defend that because now it's hate speech. Now it's bigotry. The word of God, the Bible, the foundation, literally, of our society, that should steal your resolve to know it more than ever. And I contend today that it is incumbent upon you to do so, to know it more than ever, because you will be called to to stand on it. You will be called to defend it. You will be called to use it. And hopefully by those that truly want to know, 
those that are hungry for it, those that want to understand, those that society has been confused and, and muddled and twisted by media and the God of this world, may stand before you and begin to ask questions and want to know and understand more about the word of God. It's incumbent upon us. It is our duty now to know this word greater than ever before. Does anybody agree with that? <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Thank you for your word, God. The enemies of the word, the enemies of God, in several ways, have always followed the devil's pattern. See, the devil wants to remove the image of Jesus Christ from society. We've talked, I've talked about this before. If he can take churches out, get you guys all just to hide away here and, and hovel away and not be in society, then that's a good thing. He wants the image of Jesus gone because if the image is gone, no man can see God and therefore he wins. So what have we lost already? Ten commandments being torn out everywhere, every Supreme, you know, courts all over the place. By the way, United States Supreme Court, if you go into that building, we didn't make it over there. We saw it. I saw it from a distance. But I've seen pictures. If you go to the United States Supreme Court, scriptures from the word of God are literally carved in solid mahogany panels all around the Supreme Court. The same Supreme Court, by the way, which housed the nine justices that declared that it was against the Constitution for public places to have the Ten Commandments displayed. We live in a twisted, weird world, folks. The Bible tells us, the Bible says that they are going to make the truth a lie. Look where we stand right now. Good is bad and bad is good. They're applying virtue to things that are happening in this world that we know to be immoral and wrong. But that's what we're promised. So should we be fearful? where we stand or should we be encouraged because the word prepared us for that and now is our time you see the dictator and political leader Karl Marx made a very critical error in uh, when communism was being established in the Soviet Union and they were taking over countries his critical error was this his decision was to try to eradicate completely Christianity did he succeed no what happened he drove people to the word. He drove people to have underground churches and tear pages of the Bible and pass them underneath tables and in underground churches. He drove people to try to understand why do they want to take it away? Why are they taking it away from me? As human beings, we're known for one really classic psychological effect, and that is what you tell us we can't have, we want more, right? And so Marx made a very, very bad decision in that regard. And the same thing, I believe, could happen in our society. As we begin to feel the push of society pushing us away, I think there could be that effect to say, no, I want it more. And I'm hoping that's going to happen. But it's incumbent upon us, the leaders, the Christians, those who've dedicated our lives to this word, to be prepared to receive those people in love and in understanding with anointing, deliver the word of God. So just as the Holy Ghost defines us as a Christian and is the power of God in us, we've got to understand that the word and Jesus and the Holy Ghost are synonymous, right? It's the same thing. Do we realize that? Do you ever think of it that way? This is the Holy Ghost. This is Jesus Christ, right? John chapter 1, verse 1 says what? In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, 
the idea, the concept or plan of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus Christ. This is the living Word. One of my best friends in the world started a church, named it Living Word, if you know Brother Meyer, if you've been to his church. <laughs> we have a fan. It is a living, breathing, wonderful thing. But well, Brother Cordell, it's really challenging to read it. All those these and thous and all that stuff. If you're reading the Bible and stumbling through the these and the thous, you might be reading it the wrong way. You see, it's the Holy Ghost within us. The Holy Ghost that identifies us from religion to relationship. It's the Holy Ghost that activates the Word of God in what we do. The Bible promises us that if we read the Word and we study the Word, that at the time that we need, the Holy Ghost will bring to remembrance those scriptures that we need to, 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 to witness, correct? So if you're struggling with why I have a hard time reading the King James, then find yourself a New Living Translation. Find yourself one that you do feel comfortable with reading. But the idea, understand that even if you're not completely understanding everything that you read, understand that it's the Holy Ghost within you that's absorbing that. You see, the Bible is spiritual food. I said a moment ago, man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If you don't understand it, I don't know how an engine in a car works, but I can get in, put the key in, turn, turn it, and make it go. Over time, because I've had to fix it and I've had to save money in an auto repair, I've learned things about how the engine works. It takes time. It's an effort. But you can't give up at, I struggle with the reading, or some of it's boring. Anybody ever here struggle through the book of Numbers? Dude, Numbers? Why do I have to know that? Begat and begat and begat and the pronunciation of the names. But in the book of Acts, Jesus promised us. He promised us that he would return in the, in, the, in the position of the Holy Ghost and in the form of the Holy Ghost as the comforter and that he would bring things to remembrance as we need it. And I've had it personally happen. I've been in situations, I've testified from this pulpit that I've been in situations where I've been challenged to explain my faith or challenged to explain something in the word of God and begin a conversation and feel the Holy Ghost come over me. What a humbling experience. What an amazing feeling it is as the Holy Ghost wells up within you and scriptures just start rolling scriptures i didn't know i knew or thought didn't know that i remembered and be able to quote the word of god and reach somebody with that and plant a seed it's powerful folks as i said before if you're in a place right now of fear if you're fearful for what's happening in this world stop Get into the word of God and embolden and empower yourself. There should be no fear. 360 sometimes the Bible says, fear not, fear not, fear not. If you're succumbing to fear, it's the flesh that's pushing the spirit out of the way. How do you feed the spirit? Word of God. You follow me? Now's the time to devour it like never before. If you don't have the spirit and you don't have the word, then all you have is religion. And folks, religion ain't going to save you. That's just the facts. The word tells us that. So let's talk about the word and the spirit in Jesus. 
We know that Ephesians chapter 6 tells us the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Okay, now it gets a little, it gets a little confusing because if the Bible is the word and the word is the sword and Jesus is the sword and the sword is the word and Jesus is the word, it sort of sounds a little confusing. It kind of gets us a little turned around. But the fact of the matter, as I said a moment ago, they're all in one. They are the same thing. Ephesians 6 encourages us the sword is the spirit, but it also says have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Exactly. It's nearly a command, Paul writes to the Ephesians. You have to have your feet prepared. Why feet? Well, I'll tell you two things about the swords. Now, the image in Ephesians chapter 6 comes from the image of the Roman soldier. This is an example that Paul is giving. And so, so in the time of the Roman soldier, they had actually, early on in the uh, Roman empires, they carried a long sword that was single-bladed, and they would, it was a hacking, slashing type of a sword. It was more of an attack, you know, just one swipe type of a thing. And they realized that this new sword, they came up with this new sword, and they double-edged it, and they made it shorter. And it was carried in a wooden scabbard on the left-hand side of the soldier's belt. And that's so he, most of them apparently were right-handed, and they could draw that sword out. And it was for, for small, close combat, okay? They found that they were more effective. See, at that time, in those days, even the slightest wound could mean death for a soldier. And so this close-quartered combat sword, they had to get in close, but they could attack and they could kill quickly. The Bible says that the word is quick and it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing the joints and the marrow and the soul and spirit. But it's also a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, what we need to do, is the, the object lesson there, is we need to get close. This is close combat. It's personal is what I'm trying to say. Taking the battle one person at a time. You see, we're not going to, more than likely at least based on what I read through the end of the book, we're not going to suddenly turn society around. Every bit of ground that we lose is lost for good. New marriage laws that have come out, it's not going back. Abortion's not going away. As much as your candidate says he's going to eradicate abortion, it's not going to happen. There is no indication that we have from Scripture that says that we will miraculously take this immoral culture and society and flip it on its ear and turn it around. There is no renaissance period coming. It's not happening. What's going to happen is we'll continue to decline and we're going to roll right into the book of Revelation and the judgment that God brings for this world and for the Jews. And so, it's about one soul at a time. It's about close combat. It's about taking that, that short sword and being able to take it to one person at a time. You're not going to change culture and society and your candidate isn't going to do all of that stuff. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. Vote for your candidate. Stand behind who you feel. Vote the down ticket, certainly. That's just a little side note. Do your duty and let's do our best to try to hold on to what we have as long as we can. Amen? But when it comes right down to it, it's going to be close combat. It's going to be taking the sword. Now, we're not killing people with it. We're not beating people up with it or stabbing them with it. But when it says that it, it pierces to the joint and marrow into the soul and spirit, what it's saying is that if you use this properly, you use this sword properly, it's going to slide right in. It's going to get into the heart and it's going to get into their bones. 
Anybody here feel like the word of God is so wonderful, it's just in your bones? It's gotten deep into your soul. It's in my joints. It's in my marrow. I love the word of God. I really, truly, honestly love the word of God. It's been such a blessing to me, a power, a strength, a might. And that's what the sword is about. That's why he used that example. Now, for the gospel, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, Paul also used that example from the Roman soldier. See, what these guys had basically was a thick leather strap on the bottom of their soles and some straps that would wrap up about halfway up their calf. In the wintertime, if it got cold, and, and of course the Roman Empire covered northern territories, they would jam a lot of wool or sheepskin or something in there, and then they'd wrap it up accordingly. But the point was, is that, oh, the other thing they would do, and a lot of people don't know, is they would drive nails or screws of some kind, whatever they had at that time, down through the soles of these sandals, and it would allow them grip in combat, and so they could move and they could hold their ground and not slip and fall while they were fighting. And so Paul used that specifically on purpose to say that your feet have to be shod with the preparation of the gospel. You got to get your nails in the ground, right? And know the word. Well, why feet? Why did it have to be about feet? Well, very simply, we got to walk, we got to go, we got to pick this word up, and we got to go. I'm sorry to say, as much marketing as we do and as much as we try to do, uh, people just aren't going to suddenly wake up one day, necessarily, and walk into the church and say, okay, I'm here to learn everything and I want to be saved. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes God calls people that way. But the majority of it is going to happen out there. Paul didn't sit in Jerusalem and, and wait and hope that people from Ephesus and Corinth and Galatia were going to walk into Jerusalem and say, okay, I'm here to learn now. Right? It's on the feet because we got to go and we got to take it. You've heard me say before from this pulpit that those of us that are learned and we've been here for many years, we've been in the church for years and we've studied and we've heard great preaching and all that kind of stuff, we're fat with the gospel. We're just loaded up with it. It's time to make this thing a takeout meal. Right? Let's get a foam box, clamshell, pop this thing in there and take it out and then share it with somebody else. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us that the word of God is quick and powerful. As I said, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It is a weapon. Now, the great thing about the sword that the Roman soldier had is it was an offensive weapon, but it was also a defensive weapon. And I make that point for this very reason. I spoke about culture earlier. We will be under attack. We will be called to answer. We will be put on the block. But when Jesus was in that position and he stood before the Pharisees and they continuously attacked him and they tried to make him out a heretic, they tried to find a reason to prosecute him, what did he do? He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. When the devil took him out into the wilderness and tempted him, what did he say? It is written. He used the word of God as a defensive weapon. And we need to be prepared to do that as well. It's coming, folks. And when you take that first slash or that first hack or that first attack and you don't have your sword, it's going to hurt and it's going to hit deep. And some people have that happen and it knocks them right out of the church. This defense is for our soul, for our very existence, and you need to have it. I said before, and I mean it, 
you don't have the word of God, you don't take your sword into the battle, you're not going to make it. Praise the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, says that for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Think about that. The message of the cross, the gospel, is literally the power of God. In other words, if you've got the sword in your belt, you've got the spirit in your heart, your abilities are limitless, defined by God and how he wants to use you, if you are willing. You can do it. You have the ability. It is within us. We had a message from the Lord this morning right before service started, right after our song service. And God literally said, I have given you, thank you, Lord, for confirming my message. He said, I have given you all the tools you need. You have my power behind you. Did anybody catch that? I almost fell over. Thank you, God, for that. It's an awesome thing to consider that God's looking at you and saying, I've given you the tools, I've given you the ability, and I've given you the power to do what you need to do. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Lots of people out there, by the way, read and study the Word of God. Uh, To many, it's a religious book. It's a text, it's history. But to us, as I said earlier, it is God. It is alive. It's salvation, and it's powerful. I quoted John 1 and 1 earlier. That in the beginning was the plan or the concept or the idea. And again and again throughout the word of God, that logos, L-O-G-O-S, that's the Greek word for word, is interchanged with another word, rema, R-H-E-M-A. Throughout the New Testament, word is used either as logos or rema. Logos is concept, it's plan, it's the inspired word, it's the spiritual side, and rema is the literal written word. And they're interchangeable throughout the New Testament. And so what this says to me is that as you read, and the Bible talks about the word, it's again that synonymous action, that synonymous existence. It's Jesus, it's his spirit, it's the word together. John chapter, excuse me, 1 John chapter 5 There are three that bear record in heaven. The Word, the Spirit, and... Whoop, bring my scripture. Sorry, it just popped out of my head. John chapter... First John chapter 5, sorry. But the point being is that it tells me that those three are together. They're synonymous throughout the New Testament. It is Jesus. It is power. And so if we have a society that's telling us that this is wrong, this is bigotry, this is heresy, this is whatever it is, they are literally coming against Jesus himself. And that's why it should embolden us. That's why it should strengthen us. I want to walk out of here today and just feel encouraged, emboldened to say, I want to know this word. I want to bury this thing in my heart because there are people out there that are threatening the very word of God. They're threatening my ability and my freedom to literally eat this. You know that the Bible says that you should eat the word? 
you should consume it. If you were at midwinter camp this past year, Terry Schock was the evening evangelist, and his wife, in one of the day sessions, got up and she spoke a message that I had never heard before in my life. And she, the whole message was, you've got to eat the word. Eat it. Devour the word. Consume it. It is the bread of life, correct? And the message there was, what you are is what you eat, correct? <laughs> you've got to make it what you are. So as we move forward, it's now critical for us not only to read and study the word, but I believe to literally fall in love with it. As I mentioned earlier, I literally love the word of God. Why? Because I love God. I love Jesus. And we can't separate the two. Well, I really love Jesus. I come into church, but the Bible is so hard. I, mm, I don't, if we're really, don't, nobody raise a hand. But if you're really honest with yourself, are there people in the house today that can say, I haven't read the Bible in a week? or a month, or longer. Why? Because it's not in our nature, it's not in our flesh to want to read this and to study it. We war against that. And so we need to fall in love with it because we want to be with it and study it and embrace it every single day. Learn to fall in love with the word of God. The word tells us that our battles are not flesh and blood, but are spiritual, and it's the word of God, the sword of the spirit, that will allow us to withstand and prevail. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse four, says those very words, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, of course, the key word there is that it's through God. If you charge into, the, if you decide for yourself that I really don't need to know the Bible. I've got a pretty good idea what it says. Jesus, God, Holy Ghost, baptize. That's pretty good. And you run into battle and your sword is dull. You're going to be in trouble, folks. No soldier goes into war with a dull sword or an unloaded weapon. Not at all. When we were in Washington, D.C., we had the great honor of being able to go to Arlington Cemetery and witness the changing of the guard of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. What an awesome, awesome ceremony that is. The incredible discipline. And uh, uh, my daughter, and we brought her friend along, got on, uh, after we left the cemetery and we saw that awesome event, got on the uh, internet and on the Google and, and, and actually read up on what the soldier has to do just in order to qualify to be able to go to that event and be able to be a guard who during the course of April through September spends 30 minutes walking and guarding that tomb in an exact number of steps, in an exact count of turns, in an exact number of motions, the unbelievable discipline, what he has to do in order just to qualify. No drugs, no alcohol, no drinking, no, no outside influences, no technology for a certain period of time, no women, no wives, girlfriends, none of that stuff. Do you know that up until the point that they walk that, that strip in front of the tomb, they actually live underneath the tomb? They have to live underneath until they've completed their turn of duty and they leave and then they're able to go off base. Which, by the way, that is a, an operating military post. And I thought about the discipline, and I'm watching this, and when they change the guards, it's incredible. Every step, every motion, every aspect of his uniform, they spend, I think, eight to ten hours just preparing their uniforms. Think about that. And they're just in the United States military. 
We're in God's army. Do you think maybe we could spend a little bit more than eight to 10 hours preparing for the mission that God's got for us? Because we're walking back and forth in front of the tomb of the unknown citizen. Now there's still some alive out there and they still have a chance. But who's gonna reach them? Who's gonna talk to them? If the church of the living God, full of the Holy Ghost, devoted to the spiritual word of God and the written word of God, isn't getting out there to do the job, who's gonna do it? The religious? The non-religious? Think about that for just a moment. If we do nothing and we don't study the word, we know that we'll starve spiritually. And that's a tragedy. We'll fall to the first attack of the enemy. But worst of all, we will help no one. And you've heard me say many times from this pulpit, we have two jobs, basically two jobs. Save ourselves and as many people as we can reach. The way we're going to do it is through the word of God. We're not going to save them with cleverness, with eloquence, with uniqueness. Our testimony, our personal testimony, and the word of God is what's going to reach people. And we've got to sharpen that sword and make sure we're carrying it into battle every single day. In closing, I just want to say this. I'm going to challenge you today from the word of God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to challenge you from the book of James chapter 1 starting at verse 25. James 1 and 25 says this, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Folks, get in a Bible study. Form a book club. Start a discussion. Do a bread program. Teach a Bible study, host a Bible study, whatever you can to continuously embrace the word. Once a soldier is awarded the great high honor and the privilege to be able to walk the path of the tomb of the unknown soldier, it's his for a certain period of time. After having gone through months and years of dedication and preparation, he has a limited time that he's allowed to walk that post and then is moved on and reassigned. We have a very limited time at this post. There's not much time left out there. Let's face it. Let's look, let's look at what's happening in our world. Look at our presidential candidates, for Pete's sake. Look what's happening outside of our borders, right? Let's look what's happening outside of our borders. Our freedoms are being eroded. Our liberties are being taken away. The word of God is under attack. The church is under attack. But I will say this. Now is the greatest time in history for the church of the living God. We have such tremendous opportunity to reach out to this world like never before. If we're good soldiers, if we've prepared our uniform, we've prepared our hearts, and we've sharpened our sword, we're going to make an impact. And there is nothing greater there is no greater accomplishment, no greater achievement, no greater high, no greater joy than to stand or kneel at an altar with a person that you brought out of this world and you watch them repent and receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost and see them go into the waters of baptism. Let's stand this morning.
I hope you go home today refreshed and encouraged and challenged to dedicate yourself to the word of God like never before. I hope that you go home today and realize that you are powerful, that you are mighty, and that you are a soldier for God and that you will impact the kingdom. Because he said so, because the word of God promises it. And if you're willing, you will be awesome. You will be great for God. And depending on how long we last and how long this thing goes, we can make a great impact in this world. In Jesus' name. God, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we can own this, that we can carry it. We can have it in our homes, have it in our cars. But most of all, God, that we can have it in our hearts. Lord, today we dedicate ourselves like never before to embracing it, to loving it, to knowing it, and to sharing it, God, with whoever we can. Direct us, Lord. Encourage us, God. Give us strength and the will, Lord, to absorb and to eat this thing whole, to take it down, Lord God, and to know every single bit of it and to understand your call in our lives. Lord, we pray a blessing upon this congregation and every soul that's here today that you would guide and send them, Lord. Give them opportunity. Open their eyes and their ears and their hearts, Lord Jesus, to receive those that need them. We got to reach this lost and dying world, Lord. And we need you to do it. We need your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.